morning, church. So glad you guys made the choice to come and join us this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews as we discover how Jesus is greater than all that's going on, all that's uh, going on in Scripture. He is the one who epitomizes what we come here to worship for. We talked about starting off and talking about how he was greater than the angels, right? He's greater than the angels. All these created beings and these created things in the heavens and the earth that God has put together, Jesus is greater than all that. Jesus is greater than the prophets and all those in the Old Testament who proclaim the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. His very words created all that we have. He was greater than those who proclaimed the message from old. We talk about how he was greater than all this stuff. And today we're going to talk about how he's greater than the priests. He's greater than those who came to bring people into worship, even though they were worshiping him. He had all that they did in the, in the temple and tabernacle was just a picture of what he was going to be, of who Jesus is. And how today we're going to look at how he is the greatest mediator for us. All those who have gone on before to try to proclaim the greatness of God and mediate between God and man always fell short. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. You ever think of it, when you think of a mediator, what do you think of? Maybe a lawyer who mediates between the prosecution and the judge and the jury? Somebody who's going to go and argue on your behalf to help you solve your case. Maybe a mediator is somebody helps to help you in an argument with somebody else who come, comes between and goes, stop, stop, stop. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. We're going to do it that way. They mediate, try to get bring peace between two parties. See, every culture has its mediators. Every culture has this idea of a mediator between man and whoever their version of God or their deity, or their spirit. There's always this mediator that intercedes between mankind and that God creature. Shamans in the Indian culture, shamans were, they were the mediators between man and the ancestor spirits, right? They would proclaim, they'd have the, the incense, they'd go in and tell the people what the spirits wanted. As we lived in Asia, we were very aware of people who Talk to the spirits on a regular basis. In fact, one of the things that really broke our hearts every year when we were living in China, we'd see people out on the streets burning money, fake money that they had bought at the store, and they're burning money to their ancestor spirits because they believe that if they sent this money into the afterlife, that their ancestor spirits would then bless them in this life. And so they were always trying to find some way of mediating between them and their ancestors. Priests in other, other cultures would offer sacrifices. They'd offer incense to try to appease the spirits and the gods in that culture, right? Even today, we have psychics and mediums. You go down to New Orleans. Uh, if you're, any of y'all been to Long Orleans and been down there and you go to, you see the psychics and mediums all over the place. They want to read your poem. They want to do the tarot cards. They'll kill a chicken and they'll read the guts and the end stuff inside. Romans would do that back years and years ago, Greeks and Romans. They would kill an animal and then they'd try to 
divine out the will of the gods by reading the intestines and all that. But none of those, none of those come close to really, they're all just man's attempts at appeasing the God spirits. See, when Jesus came, Hebrews tells us here that he, there is only one mediator between God and man. Only one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. Look in, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 4 with, with me, if you would. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We're going to read through this, this verses here this morning, then go back and unpack them a little bit. He says here in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord God, this morning as we unpack these verses, as we look at this, because you are the great high priest, and comparing it to what man had tried to do all through these years, leading up to your arrival. I'm so thankful that we have you to intercede on our behalf, to do for us in reality what men have tried to do of their own making for so many years. But you finally came and brought to us the truth so we might worship you as you are, our great high priest. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. See, in the Old Testament, do you think it was wrong that the priests were acting as this mediator between God and man in the temple, the tabernacle? They came and offered sacrifices. People would bring them the bulls and the goats, and they'd bring them the, the pigeons and the doves, and they'd bring them the grain and all these things, and they'd bring them to the priests, and the priests would then offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. If there's only one mediator, were they doing wrong? No. This was a system that God had set up. But you have to think, remember that all of the Old Testament system was built and all the, all the instructions that God gave them in the law and all that they were doing were merely there to point them to the coming Messiah and who was going to be the great high priest on our behalf. They were doing, and, and they were operating as a picture of what the high priest was really going to do. They were pointing people to what God was doing on their behalf and how he wanted them to come to him. It was administered there as, 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 as by the priests, and they were acting as mediators on the sacrifices of everyday people. What were some of the sacrifices? You had the burnt offerings, which were voluntary acts of worship. They were given for atonement of sin. They would bring an animal, and the priest would then kill that animal, and the blood would flow over the altar onto the ground. And that blood was then the symbolism, symbolizing the covering of their sin. They would bring grain offerings. They bring what the Bible calls an ephah, flour, a little bit of grain, and they bring this grain in, and the, the priest would then add oil with it, and then they would cook it on the altar and offer it as a sacrifice or drink offerings. As There were sacrifices for thanksgiving of God's good, unmerited favor on their behalf. 
Thanking God for all the blessings that he had given to them. Say, God, you're so awesome. You provided for me this year. You provided me this past month. I want to give you something to show my thankfulness for your favor upon me. They bring a peace offering, which was Thanksgiving and fellowship. They'd have a meal together. Again, all these sacrifices were there. But the purpose of them was to show what God was going to do on their behalf and to point to the Messiah who was going to come later and be the fulfillment of these promises, of these sacrifices, rather. He was going to embody those sacrifices in himself, as he, especially as he went to the cross on our behalf, and he became the atoning sacrifice on the cross, taking upon himself all the sins of the world, and his blood dripped down the cross, not just as a means of showing the covering of the sin, but the removal of the sin from his people. How mankind could be restored in that relationship with God once again. All these sacrifices pointed to the perfect final sacrifice of Christ. I'm so thankful for what Jesus did for us. I am so thankful that on the cross, Jesus, my high priest, your high priest took upon himself my sins and your sins forever removing from me and you the penalty of sin. Now, do I still sin today? Yes. Just ask my wife and kids. And they'll tell you, oh yeah, dad's still got a way to go. But the penalty of those sins is no longer held against me for eternity. It does affect my relationship with God now. It affects my relationship with God. And when I do sin, I don't want to get back in God's word. I don't want to go to God in prayer because I know that my sin is going to be looking at me right in the face. And I know that I've, I will have offended in a holy God. And I don't want to confront my sin. I'm like everybody else. I want to just keep going on in my life and never have to confront what I've done wrong. But that's not the way it works. See, there's a relationship that God wants to have with his people. And as we go to God and we confess our sins to God and we let him know, God, here I am again. I've screwed up again. I've messed up again and again and again. I'm acknowledging to you where I've messed up. He said, I know you messed up. I'm just waiting for you to come and acknowledge it yourself. And it's amazing what peace comes the fear that's there before, right? It's like, you, we know where we messed up. And we don't want to confront God with that. We don't want to acknowledge where we messed up. And yet as soon as we do, there's like this peace in the relationship. And no longer is there fear. No longer is there anything holding us back. See, Jesus came. And because he came and died on the cross and took away the penalty of sins, that free relationship is there again. He was mediating on our behalf. When we do sin, he's the one going between sin. God, don't forget, he's already forgiven. It's already forgiven. You don't have to judge him. It's already been done. You judged me on his behalf. Because Jesus lived a sinless life for us. See, Jesus epitomizes all that the sacrifices were there for. 
He's the greatest high priest. He's greater than the high priests that, that, were, that were operating within the temple. See, once a year, once a year, aside from the regular sacrifices that took place within the temple and the tabernacle, once a year, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Nobody was allowed to go in there except this one time a year. The high priest would go in, and then there in the Holy of Holies set the Ark of the Covenant. And there before the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest would make a sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. But even that was symbolic. Even that sacrifice was not enough to remove from the people the wrath of God. It merely covered their sins for a short time until the greatest high priest came. And when he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice, it didn't just cover the people's sins. It removed the wrath of God on from us. See, Jesus was so different that when he approaches the wrath, he approaches the throne of God, he's coming as one who is sinless. When the high priest in, in, in Israel came, he was still coming as a sinner before God. And he's making atonement for his sins as well as the nation of Israel. When Jesus approaches the throne of God, he's approaching God's throne as one who is sinless. One who has never committed even one sin. So when he approaches the throne of God, he could then remove everyone's sin by his atoning sacrifice. Only the sinless one could make ultimate sacrifice for the sinners. Jesus is awesome. And he willingly did that for us. And literally, God in the flesh made a sacrifice, killed himself on our behalf. Nobody could kill God. Nobody could kill Jesus. It says on the cross, he didn't just, he wasn't just killed. The two thieves that were on the other crosses with him, they died, their legs were broken, and they suffocated to death. Jesus gave up his spirit, the Bible says. He willingly gave up his spirit. He allowed his body to die so that our sins might be not just covered, but forgiven. Verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. He's a different kind of high priest. Think of temptation versus sin for a second. See what? Temptation is simply this. It's the enticement to do wrongdoing that confronts us every day. Are any of us in here not tempted? I'm tempted. I'm tempted to do stuff every single day that I know is wrong. Sometimes I give into it, and that becomes sin. Sometimes I fight it. And the Holy Spirit gives me the power and the strength to overcome it. And that is not sin. That confronts us every single day. Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. Remember he went out into the wilderness for 40 days? It says he was tempted in all kinds of sins, just like you and I are. He experienced all the sins that you and I are tempted with. We only read about three of them at the end of there. 
of that 40 days in the wilderness. He comes out and Satan comes to him and goes, turn these stones into bread. Then go up on the mountain peak. Cast yourself off and the angels will pick you up. Then he says, take stones to the peak of Jerusalem. And he says, just worship me and I'll give you all that you see. He was tempted just as we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Just like we are. His words, he goes on in Matthew chapter 5 in talking in the Sermon on the Mount about not just the actions we commit, but the attitudes that are ingrained within us that offend the Holy God. And think about it, in, in 5.28 he talks about to lust after a woman is to commit adultery in your heart. He said, man, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart and you look on her that way, you're committing adultery. It's the same thing. There is no difference. Just because you didn't go and have a physical relationship with her does not mean you've not offended a holy God because of the attitude and the action within your heart. If you look on somebody and you can hate them and you say things about them and you try to and you can have so much anger that you want to kill them in your heart. God says there's no difference between that and actually going out and killing them. You're a murderer in your heart. It's the attitude that God's looking for. It's the change of heart that God was trying to get a hold of there. See, God never said stop looking at women. He said, he called them stop looking at them with a lustful intent. Over and over again, he says there in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, Blah, blah, blah. But I say, blah, blah, blah. He was correcting their thinking, correcting the, the way that they were looking at life, saying it's not just about the actions I want you to change. It's easy to change a person's actions for a short time. Following the rules and regulations, it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to check this off, check this off, check this off, check this off. I'm going to follow these rules, and then I'm okay. That's what the bulk of the world thinks. If I just live my life a certain way, if I have these certain actions in my life, then I'm okay. Have I ever committed physical adultery? No, I'm okay. Have I ever committed murder? No, I'm okay. If I ever go down and stolen something because I want it so much? No, I'm okay. Have I ever... And Jesus is saying, it's not just about the actions. Have you ever looked upon a person lustfully? Have you ever had so much anger toward a person or bitterness in your heart towards somebody that you just wanted to get back at them? Have you ever coveted something else that somebody else had and you long for that or you're not in content because of that? Then those are sins as well. But see, when Jesus, Jesus never crossed the lines from temptation to sin. He understood what temptation was. He understood all the pressures that we had, but he never crossed that line from temptation to sin. Not once, never once permitted temptation to become sin in his heart, his thoughts, or his actions. He always, you know, we always hear, never say always and never. Jesus always resisted the temptation. He never gave in. As opposed to us, we almost always give in to at some point. As much as we strive to live holy lives, as much as we strive and long to be like Jesus, 
We live in this world. We live in this earth where it's a struggle. Because Satan comes at us every single day. Temptation, temptation, temptation. And he knows where our weaknesses are. Temptation, temptation, temptation. He knows where I've fallen before. Temptation, temptation, temptation. Constantly, over and over and over again. And so I need a high priest. I need a high priest who's going to be a mediator between me and God. I need that high priest who's going to come and intercede on my behalf. I need that high priest who's going to come and say, David, let me help you out of that temptation. Let me bring you aside. I know you're being tempted. I know you're weak. I know you've fallen in this way before. Let me come alongside you and help. That's our high priest. That's the one who died for us. That's the one who makes sweet sacrifices for us. That's the one who yearns for that relationship with us. My high priest. See, if Jesus had sinned, his atonement would not have been sufficient to remove the wrath of God. Just like Israel's high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies to make that sacrifice, that sacrifice only covered the sins of Israel for a short time. It just pushed it off down the road. You've heard the phrase, kicking the can down the road? It just kicked the judgment down the road a little bit further, a little bit further. It stayed off God's hand, stayed off his wrath, his judgment a little bit longer until the Messiah could come on the scenes. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know what? Not Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And God in the flesh did not sin. See, the, the one thing that always baffles my mind, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, so as God, he could not have sinned, but as man, he could have sinned. How does that work out? I don't know. You know, that, those things that make your mind go blow up. I'm like, how does God in the flesh, who could have sinned, chose not to sin, shove off everything else, and yet God in the spirit knowing that, that God is God and he could not sin because he is holy God and cannot allow sin in his presence. Jesus, our high priest, did not sin. When all the rest of us, those sitting in this room right now, those watching online, that verse is us. All have sinned. You put your name in there. For David has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For my awesome, wonderful wife, Regina, she has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The beautiful baby that is born into this world in sin, from the moment it is born, it's fallen short of the glory of God and needs the redemptive act of Christ on the cross to save it. As sweet as innocent my little granddaughter is right now, eight, nine months old, as a granddad, I'm looking, she hasn't done anything wrong. But in God's world, she's a sinner in need of a savior. She's a sinner in need of a savior. Only our high priest can go before the Father and offer the sacrifice that completely removes the wrath of God from us. 
Jesus' sacrifice accomplished complete atonement for sin once and for all. Period. No other sacrifice is needed. No other, nothing else is needed. What Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus died for us, what he took upon himself was all that is needed. One death, one recommitment on my part. That is all that's needed to restore that relationship between us and God. Have the sins removed. And because of that, because of his sacrifice on the cross, and this is what's exciting. This is what's exciting. Look at verse 16. What does it say there? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, be, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of what Jesus did, because he's our high priest, because he died for us, because he took our sins upon himself, we can go boldly before the throne of grace and approach God. He is the only mediator we need. I don't need another priest. I don't need anybody else. It's just me through Jesus to God the Father. I can boldly approach God's throne because of what Jesus did for me. I no longer, there's no, no longer any fear of the eternal judgment of God. Since I was seven years old, there's been no fear in my heart about the judgment of God, the eternal judgment. Now, as I was growing up, I always wondered, okay, is this sin over here? Is it going to make God not pour his grace and mercy on me here? Is it going to make him be angry with me? Is he going to make my car crash? Is he going to make me fail my, my test in, in algebra class this week? I think he must have been really angry with me in geometry because I failed a lot of tests in geometry class. No, I didn't understand the grace of God. I didn't understand the mercy of God. Those sins I was committed that I was committing were already gone. The judgment of God upon me was not there. Yes, he wanted to pour out his blessings on me. And there are times, see what sin does, when you sin, it is not just removed. Let me back up here. When we sin, we're putting something else, a blockade between us and God. We're telling God basically, this is more important in my life than you are. This, whatever it may be, is more important to me than you are. And when I do that, when I put something else up there between me and God, that blocks the blessings that he wants to pour out on us. The blessings he wants to pour out. That is why I go to God and say, God, I've messed up again. Because I want that block removed. I want that wall removed. It's a brick wall. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like the three little pigs. I huff and I puff and I want to blow it down. Then I get to the brick wall of sin in my life. And I'm huffing and puffing and huffing and puffing and huffing and puffing. And it doesn't fall down because I need the, the high priest to come and knock it down. I go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you. He says, no problem. The mediator steps down. One little tap. I'm out of breath. I've been huffing and puffing. I know we're in Colorado. And huffing and puffing is a natural thing here. 
But our high priest walks up with one little tap. That blockade is gone. And the blessings of God can pour out again. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 John 1, 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All. The three little letters. A-L-L. All unrighteousness. Not most, not some, not a tiny bit. God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only the high priest can do that. Only our high priest can step up and remove the sins from us, can remove the wrath of God from our shoulders. See, if Christ were not our great high priest, we couldn't stand before God. We would be cast out of his presence. The moment, if Jesus not Christ was not our high priest, and I would have stood before God, and God would say, get out. He'd kick me right out of heaven because my sins would still be there. But with Jesus as my high priest, my sins are not just covered, they're gone. They're removed. The Bible says they're thrown as far as the east is from the west. And are seen no more. Because, as this verse says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It seems so simple. I, mean, I don't have to go and make sacrifice. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go and, and, and try to live a good life to please God. I don't have to try to do anything to make God happy with me. No. It's a simple act of faith. Simple act of coming before God and saying, God, I know I screwed up. And I'm trusting and confessing that you are powerful enough to remove this from my life. See, what this means for us is the righteous judgment has been replaced by radical mercy. This is exciting. God's righteous judgment has been replaced by his radical mercy. James 2.13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13. God's radical mercy, when it is for us as human beings, that is so beyond us. That is so beyond our understanding <coughs> as to why God would allow his mercy and his grace to overshadow his judgment. The only reason that can happen is because our high priest removed the judgment from us. Our high priest made the sacrifice on our behalf on the cross so that God's judgment was satisfied. His judgment for our sin was satisfied. So now his mercy can go forward and bless us. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. I'm so thankful for the high priest, our great high priest, who went on our behalf and made sacrifice 
took upon himself my sins. This great God that we worship, that's why we come here and sing about him being our living hope this morning. It's not just because we want to come and drink coffee, have donuts, and hang out together. We come here to worship because of what he has done for us. And if we can truly begin to grasp in our minds and our hearts how great Jesus is, all the things that go on in the rest of our lives, all those other disappointments and frustrations, just take a back seat to how great God is and how much he wants to bless us. We've all experienced frustrations. We've all been disappointed. We've all got this discouragement going on in our lives. Maybe not right now, but you will. Satan wants to hit us with it. He wants us to be discouraged because if he can keep us discouraged, then he can keep us powerless. But when we get this understanding of how just how great Jesus is, the book of Hebrews is all about that, how great Jesus is. When you begin to understand just how great and wonderful he is, all those other things just pale in comparison. They just pale in comparison. And we can get through, we can endure, because we know this home, this earth, is not our home. Our home is waiting for us in heaven with our great high priest waiting to welcome us in. We bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. Even this morning as you're sitting here thinking about your own life, you realize that you've not given over to God an area of your life. That you've not submitted and sacrificed to God some area in your life. There's a, there's a disappointment, a discouragement. This morning, I want to invite you to remember just how great Jesus is and let those other, those other things that are weighing on your mind, weighing on your heart, let them fade into the background. Let them just drift away. Not that they disappear they pale in comparison to how great Jesus is and what he's got in store for us, waiting for us in heaven. If that's you this morning, I want you just to give it over to him. given over submission of your life to Jesus. That there are still sins in your heart, sins in your life because you've not submitted yourself to become a follower of Jesus. This morning I want to give you an opportunity to make that commitment. I'm going to pray a prayer 